Welcome to the sermon podcast of Gamble Street Baptist Church, Fort Worth, Texas. Gamble Street Baptist Church has been sharing the gospel for over 100 years. This podcast includes sermons from our traditional Sunday morning service and our contemporary services on Sunday evenings. We hope God speaks to you through this sermon. Yesterday was Christmas. Did you get out of bed and run to the tree with excitement? Were you surprised with what you found there? America's Funny Videos had an episode that's become somewhat iconic even outside the program. This young boy rushes in to the tree on Christmas morning. He grabs a big package. He tears the paper off. He dances around and he explains, it's wonderful, I love it, it's just what I want. And then he stops and says, what is it? <laughs> Giving away family secrets, probably the last time we were surprised on Christmas morning was years ago and when we somewhat liked the boy, smiled and said we loved it and then we were really thinking, did he or she really think I would like this? <laughs> Today we are taking one last look at the Christmas story. The Christmas story seems to surprise us each year, and my guess is this year is no different. Let me read today's passage about the wise men. And now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born the king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and have come to worship him. Then Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophets, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men to determine from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring that word to me that I may come and worship him also. When When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures. They presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Let's set the stage of the events. A young unmarried Mary received a visit from an angel. The message he gave was a fantastic message. She was to have a child. That was a frightening message, but she responded with faith, with a declaration that all things are possible with God. Joseph, her spouse husband-to-be, also received a visit from an angel. 
he received a fantastic message as well. And what that message was that the child would save his people of their sins. He also responded in faith. And then we read, It came to pass in those days there went out a decree. Rome ruled the world and they could demand whatever they wished. But was it really Rome that set the stage? Because we've already read the passage. It was Bethlehem that was to be the stage. The events were just beginning. Joseph and Mary made their trip from Nazareth to Jerusalem, to Bethlehem. And it wasn't easy, but uh, apparently it became harder when they got there because it says that there was no room in the inn. We say inn, but we're not talking about a holiday inn here. What we're talking about is probably, at best, a large open courtyard filled with camels and donkeys for those who traveled with small little rooms around this courtyard. And it was full. And even though Mary was with the child, the innkeeper couldn't just put someone out. They had paid their board. So he sent them to the stable to be with his animals. He was doing the best he could. From there, the story turns to the stable and shepherds. Shepherds were so often regulated to the hills and they didn't have fine company. But tonight was to be different. They weren't visited by fine people or noble people. They were visited by a host of angels. And they also received a message from those angels that was a fantastic message. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. What a message unto you. No greater message could be given. Eight days later, we find that Mary and Joseph had made the four and a half to five mile trip to Jerusalem. Once there, we see those who had waited a lifetime for the promise of God. Simeon and Anna. And their message confirmed the earlier voices of the angels. Redemption with what lie ahead. And now the events of today's passage. Wise men. Fancy has allowed uh, to play with these story of these wise men. They were from the east. But most of us have difficulty separating the fables from the facts that we see in the scripture. Most of us think there were three of them. There were kings. Their names were Gaspar, Melchor, and Balthazar. They came from Greece and India and Egypt. These statements probably belong to fables, as do the stories of coming from, a, from the East and their return journey and their later baptism by Thomas. It was even said that their bones were discovered in the fourth century by St. Hela, who brought them to Constantinople and deposited them in the church of St. Sophia. Subsequently transferred to Milan and finally brought by Frederick Barbosa to Cologne where the skulls were to be guarded in a golden shrine in the great cathedral there. And although in our Christmas pageants and our manger scenes we grouped the shepherds and wise men together, it probably wasn't so. The shepherds came from nearby, the wise men from far away. But Mary and Joseph didn't just stay in Bethlehem for a short time. We know that eight days later they had taken Jesus to 
Jerusalem. And they probably returned to Bethlehem after that for a time. So we don't know how long they were there, but apparently the shepherds had long gone and the wise men came. We know really nothing about these wise men other than what we see in these short verses here. What we do know is they weren't Larry, Curly, and Moe. They were not stooges. They were wise men. It's a translation of the Greek word magi, which they are often referred as as magi. We get our word magic from that. They were probably members of an oriental priestly caste who had been taught by the Jews of Dispersia about the coming Savior, our universal king. And we remember that Daniel himself was referred to as a magi. Not only as a magi, but a master magi. And he had foretold of the coming of the Son of Man. But somehow they saw this sign in the heaven and it convinced them that this universal king was to be born. And they came. The important thing is to remember that they were not Jewish. They had responded to the sign that the Lord had given them and they were coming to worship. The background of the story is particularly dark. It says when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. He was a cruel and suspicious tyrant. And so his troubling troubled the people as well. Why would a little baby trouble a king? <laughs> we might ask. Well, we know from history that he was not really Jewish. He was not their king. His father was an Edomite. His mother was an Arab. That means he was a descendant of Esau and not of Jacob. And so he, in their eyes, he was an illegitimate king. He only ruled because his father had supported Julius Caesar. He tried to ingratiate himself with the people by marrying into the, to the family of the Maccabees who had kicked out the, the Greeks years before. He tried to ingratiate himself by restoring the temple, but he couldn't be trusted. And not only that, being illegitimate, he was also paranoid. <laughs> he was genuinely paranoid. He fought against real and imagined enemies. He had his wife Marion killed. He had three of his sons killed. Augustus, the emperor, said it was safer to be Herod's pig than his son. And when he was approaching death, he gave orders to have several prominent citizens of Jerusalem imprisoned with the order that they were to be killed when he died because he wanted tears to be shed at his death. So the Jews who wanted their own king would have replaced him very quickly. He wasn't a godly man, so he didn't really care about this Messiah, but he asked because it threatened his position and his place. This title, King of the Jews, we see later it reappears in this gospel at the end as Pilate says to Jesus, Are you the King of the Jews? The soldiers, as they're mocking him, they hail King of the Jews. And the sign they placed over his cross was, This is Jesus, 
the king of the Jews. Matthew is wanting us to know at the very beginning, yes, that's who he was. Scholars have tried to identify the star of the wise men. Halley's Comet was visible in 11 B.C. Jupiter and Saturn came together very brightly in 7 B.C., but nobody's ever come to an agreement what the star was, and we're not even sure if it was a star, because it doesn't behave like a star. It seems like a supernatural event rather than a star. Herod seems to be the only one who's concerned and stirred to action. He summons the Jewish leaders. He wants to learn of them where the Messiah is to be born. These are Herod's wise men. They're the high priest and the scribes. We know that Annas was high priest and then Caiaphas. They reappear at the crucifixion. The scribes we see all through the, the Gospel of Matthew opposing Jesus at every turn. And these were the people that he asked. Where is he to be born? The wise men had said, where is the king of the Jews to be born? And Herod asked the wise, his wise men, where is the Christ, the Messiah, to be born? The religious leaders and the scribes, they knew exactly. They had read the scriptures. They knew that it was Bethlehem, but they didn't show the slightest interest. It's four and a half miles to five miles from, Be from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, but they didn't go. And we see that 30 years later that they will yell, crucify him. We as Christians are often surprised to find that those who are hostile to Jesus, they have a hostility and indifference. Just like Herod and the religious leaders fearing that to admit that any claim that he has on their life would result in personal loss. But here we see the divine guidance. It makes us aware of the primary mover in this story. It is God. He's not mentioned specifically, but his presence certainly is. The star guided them from the east. The prophecy was recorded hundreds of years before. They were warned in a divine dream after they had seen the child. Without God's giving them the star in the sky, without God giving this prophecy centuries earlier, the scribes would not have known where to send them if they did show up. And they certainly would have fallen into Herod's tra trap if they had not been warned in a dream. God gives guidance and direction to those who look for it. We don't know if it was a planet or a conjunction of planets or whatever, whether it was an actual star or whatever, but we do know it was God who gave the direction. Herod would give orders to kill all the children in Bethlehem two years old and under. He wants to make sure he rids his world of this child that would take his place. But it is God who's in charge. It's God who warns the wise man and warns Joseph who takes his family to Egypt to avoid the slaughter. 
treachery that began in his infancy will follow him throughout his life. We find in this instance where Herod, the ruler, uses the religious leaders for his purposes because he wants to kill the child. We find later that these same religious leaders used the political pilot because they decide the child must be killed as well. So this brings us to the conclusion of the Christmas story for the season. We have spent four Sundays and now five looking at the Advent story. What does it mean to us? Have we been like the little boy that we talked about in the opening? We see Christmas, but we don't know what it really means. Well, in this story, we, we see Herod. We see the, the religious leaders. They respond because they are concerned about power and position and lifestyle. They do not respond in faith. Our world is filled with people who respond in that way. But these wise men are the focus of the story. They look for God's provision of a Savior. In finding Him, they submit in worship. And this is what this passage calls for. And the Christmas story calls for over and over again. As we go through the, the Gospels, we see that time after time, the response of faith is asked for. And each time it's given, we see that it is well-founded. What we want to do to this moment is to ask the question, what does all this Advent mean? And look back at the, the messages that we've seen, these stories of Mary and Joseph and shepherds and wise men. They responded to the revelation that God gave them by giving faith in return. So let's look at the, the Advent stories that we've heard. On the first Sunday of Advent, our pastor emeritus, Clyde Glasner, gave us a message that set the stage for the coming of Jesus into our world. Here comes Jesus, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. He began with a scene from Calvin Miller's The Singer, where the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, in response to their, the cry of the world that they hear, responds by sending the Son. Many may argue that we no longer need a God to come to our rescue with our science and knowledge, but I think if we look about us, we, we realize that our world is still a world without peace. Brother Clyde pointed out the citizens of Nazareth who said, this can't be the Messiah. We know his family. How many in our world today have heard the story so many times that we say, this can't be the one. We know it too familiar. It's too familiar. We know it too well. He pointed out the question that John the Baptist asked, do we look for another? In our world today, there are many who say, after 2,000 years, we still have a world without peace. Surely Jesus cannot be the answer. And they look for another answer. On the second Sunday of Advent, it was the peace of Christmas, Luke 2, 8 through 14. Joel presented to us a vivid picture of a world of noise that was disrupted by a message of peace provided by the coming of a Savior, Messiah, and Lord. 
I went shopping on Monday and it was certainly a world of noise and it moved at such a speed that seemed to stifle the mind. All the holiday noise, all the political noise, all the pandemic noise, all the family noise, all, all of these things seemed to disrupt our ability to be able to find peace. And even those of us who long to hear it, we realize that we still live in a world of noise. Has the noise stolen your Christmas? Listen to the angel's message. Unto you is born this day a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. On the third Advent Sunday, our pastor gave us a message of joy. Lord of the dance, Zephaniah 3, 14 to 17. The joy of the Lord is my strength. We have shadows of that joy all around us. We decorate we have parties, we gather with family and friends, we go here and there, but do we sing and shout and rejoice again and again and again? Are we surprised to find that we can share His joy? There is no judgment and wrath of God. Joy is only possible because the sense of dread is no more. Echoes of God's joy can and will come ringing back to us. The shepherd has come to find the lost sheep. He's left the fold of heaven, and in his arms we are found. So we can rejoice again and again and again and again. On the fourth Sunday of Advent, we did not hear a traditional Christmas story message about the, God's love but about that application of that. That great cloud, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Our pastor used the illustration of the failure of Olympic athletes to encourage our response to God's great love. As we have witnessed those who have come before us respond with faith, we are asked to lay aside all the things that would encumber us in giving our faith response. We are encouraged to run with endurance despite all the obstacles the world may put in our way. We are encouraged to focus on this Jesus who has started and will finish our response of faith. Are we surprised to find that the Christmas message brings a responsibility to us? Stories told of the Wright brothers after they had flown their plane, they sent a message home to their sister. It was a simple message. It said, we had succeeded in flying and we would be home for Christmas. The sisters showed it to the local newspaper. So the next day, the newspaper reported, the boys will be home for Christmas. They said nothing about flying. How many people see Christmas and see nothing in it? The message of Advent is clear. God has kept his promise. A Savior has come. T.B. Maston wrote, Each of us, regardless of our age or maturity, is consciously or unconsciously on a constant search for God. Created in the image of God, man has that image marred but not totally destroyed by sin. Sin has affected every area of life. This means, among other things, that knowledge of truth is limited. 
But there is enough of the image of God retained to make man conscious of his limited insight into truth and at the same time create in him a restless searching for the truth. Where do we look for the answer? The Advent tells us we look to Jesus. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, and remember this was written before electric cars, the car is made to run on gasoline and it would not run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel of our spirits. We're designed to burn or the food or our spirits are designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. The coming of Jesus into our world, as C.S. Lewis said, you must make a choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool. You can spit at him and kill him or you can fall down at his feet and call him Lord and God. You may listen to my words about wise men, and they may not mean much to you, but can you listen to the still, small voice of God and ignore it? We've heard this message. We've heard the still, small voice of God whisper us, even in the noise. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, Isaiah 9, 6. We have heard him say, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Luke 2, 11. We have heard him say, The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One will save. Zephaniah three seventeen. We have heard him encourage us in the face of a great cloud of faithful responses. Lay aside every weight. Endure the race with impatience. Looking to Jesus. Hebrews 12.1 And as we've heard this message, my guess is we have been surprised that the message continues to grow within us. His words have spoken even louder as we have responded in faith. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Hebrews 6, 18 and 19. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives you, do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. John 14, 27. I say to you that likewise there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Luke 15, 7. These things have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and your joy may be full. John 15, 11. Greater love has no man than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. John 15, 13, and 14. Are you surprised to hear now his thundering voice in your heart? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish 
but have everlasting life. Are you surprised to hear that the old, old story still stirs your heart? Why would you or I live without God? Peace, hope, peace, joy, and love. It can be renewed. Where is He? Is He in your heart? Have you heard the message of Christmas? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. We're going to sing a song now. We like to sing, but we're not singing this just for the sake of singing. We're singing this song to give us each one of us time to respond to the message that God has given us. Most of us can make that decision where we stand or sit, but some may want to make it public. But my guess is most of us will need to rededicate ourselves to going forth tomorrow because of the noise of the world, we will be back tomorrow. And to be able to give that faith response that, that this message gives us, we will need to rededicate our lives to that. And perhaps you're that one person or two people or whoever might be here this morning that have never accepted Christ as your Savior, that you've never given that initial faith response. Now's the time to do that. Let us sing. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Gamble Street Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you have questions, we would love to speak with you. Please call 817-926-1785 to speak with a minister. If you live in or will be traveling to the Fort Worth area, we would love to have you visit. Gambrel Street Baptist Church has six church goals to reach the lost for Christ, to learn more about Christ, to touch the city through Christ, to train leaders to serve Christ, to embrace the world with Christ, and to build strong families in Christ. Please join us for our next episode.